Okay, shalom. After a long break, um, we're back. And uh, sadly, I have to announce that unfortunately, this is uh, my last class for the next four weeks. I'm not going to be here for a month, and then we'll be back. So, a uh, couple of announcements here. Take care of uh, the sponsors. Nightly sponsor, Andrea Madeo, in honor of her brother Nick. May Hashem continue to help him fight his lifelong illness and live a blessed life. Also, in thanks to Gedalia for the classes for improving my life every day. Rachel Normand for the right soulmate of Rivka Batshirin, Chaim Eliezer Ben Shirin, and Rocho Batshirin. And for the refuge name of Menachem Mendel Ben Sarabatya and Devorah Fega Bat Rezo. Okay, also very important, we have over here big events coming up. So on Thursday, October 18th, there's the launch of Season 5 with Rav Shalom Arush. Doors open at 8.15. Uh, he is the original author of what many of you know, the English translation of the books, The Garden of Amuna, and uh, all those great books. So on Thursday, October 18th, 8.15, launch of Season 5 with Rav Shalom Arush. And then on September, October 20th, we'll be having another, the Lighthouse Project, we'll be having another uh, function once again with Rab Lazer Brody uh, translating uh, the talk of Rab uh, Shalom Arush. It's going to be a beautiful Malava Malka. Once again, doors open at 8.15. Okay. Tonight's topic, learning how to love. And... You know, we always talk about the modern-day issue. Shalom. <laughs> we talk about the um, we talk about the topic of love. So, the modern-day issue is, you know, in the Orthodox circles, especially the Hasidic circles, you don't marry the person you love. How do you know if you love this person? after five dates in some public lobby of a hotel, you know, getting to meet. It's all the shidduch world. Um, you know, you date five, seven, ten, but there is no prolonged dating process. And uh, besides that, once you are engaged, it's not a very long time till, uh, till you get married. You know, from engagement till marriage can be anywhere from two months to uh, four months, five months already. Whoa, what's going on here? So the question is, what is the logic behind this? And the logic behind this is that you don't marry who you love, you learn to love who you marry. And we're going to talk about that. Where's, where's that come from? On top of that, what's about God? There's a commandment to love God. And the great Magid, Masricha Magid, teacher of the Alter Rebbe, disciple of the Baal Shem Tov, he asked the question, how can you command the feeling of the heart? You can tell me what to think and what not to think. You can tell me what to talk and what not to talk. You can tell me what to do and what not to do. How can you tell me what to feel and not to feel? What happens if I don't love God? What happens if I'm filled with resentments about God? What, is, what, what kind of commandment is it to love God? Now, why are we talking about this t 
today, it's because King Solomon in his book of songs has a verse which is related to this week's Torah portion. This week's Torah portion is about Noah and the flood. And what does it say about Noah and the flood? The water kept on building and building, right? So there's a verse, Mayim Rabim, Shlomo Melech says that the raging waters, it will not be able to extinguish the love. And what is he talking about? He's talking about the love we have for God, soul's love. What is the raging waters? So the translation is the raging waters. What is the most raging waters in our life? What do we spend most of the hours of our week doing? Most of us are spending most of the waking hours of our week trying to earn a living. And therefore the translation the Alter Rebbe gives to that verse of King Solomon, Mayim Rabim, he says, Tirdut HaPanasa, the great strains and, 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 and that, whole, that whole world of trying to earn a living can actually extinguish our love for God. Why so? Because love for God depends upon our focusing and feeling and experiencing and watering and tending to our spirituality. Trying to make a living, we're not focused on that. In general, worry is one of the great killers of spirituality. Spirituality does not allow for worry. Worry doesn't allow for spirituality. They just, they're mutually exclusive. And therefore, this whole yearning, this whole tirdus, this whole, what's the word I'm looking for? Tirdus, struggling and, 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 and suffering to earn a living, naturally, it should extinguish our love for God. Comes along King Solomon and says, you should know, it will not extinguish the love for God. And this is related to another, another wonderful concept. In the Haftorah, we refer to the flood as May Noach, the waters of Noach. Normally referred to as May Mabel, the waters of the flood. Why would you refer to the destruction of the entire world? Why would you refer to it as the waters of Noach? It should have been the Ark of Noach and the waters of the sinners. The reason God brought a flood, he clearly says, is because all of mankind and even the animal kingdom has become perverse. So the flood has nothing what to do, the waters of the flood has nothing what to do with Noah. The fact that the human race and the animal kingdom was saved has to do with Noah. At the end of last week's Torah portion, the minute God says he's contemplating, whatever it means for God to contemplate, of bringing a flood, he immediately says, and Noah found favor in my eyes. So why is there a verse referring to it as Me Noach? The question gets even stronger. When we talk about Me Noach, what does the word Noach mean? Noach means comfort, Noach means rest. When he was named Noach, the verse tells us the reason why he was named. It doesn't do that with all the other generations, but when it comes to Noach, it says, and why was he named Noach? 
because his father said this this one will bring us comfort from the curse of the of the earth simply speaking rashi explains that he created a plow but the plow now to talk about it on a more spiritual level in the opening to words of this week's torah portion it says noah twice in a row Ele told that noah these are the offspring, the generations of Noah. Noah is tzaddik. Noah was a righteous man. And Kabbalah tells us that when it says Noah, Noah twice, it explains because he brought comfort to the supernal and he brought comfort to us here below. In Kabbalah you have another explanation also, just like Shabbat, there's two levels of rest. But the point is that Noah is all about comfort and rest. So right here you have a paradox. May Noah, the waters of Noah. The waters was not a comforting experience. It was actually a destructive experience. The word Noah means comforting. So right there by calling it by the name of May Noah, waters of Noah, you've already created a paradox. And therefore, the deeper meaning of the words May Noah is built on another verse in this Torah portion. What does the verse say? The verse says that as the waters picked up strength and gathered more and more and more, it says it lifted the ark. Meaning that not only did the waters not drown Noah and his family and all the animals that were there, it actually elevated them to the point where they reached 15 cubits and the number 15, if you remember, we once gave a class about that, what the number 15 stands for, 3 times 5. But that's not a small thing. It lifted it 15 cubits higher than the highest mountain. Thus it makes sense to call the waters also Main Noach. Because while it totally wiped out the wicked, it also elevated the righteous. And thus for the people who are wicked, it's called Main Mabel. And for the righteous, it's called Main Noach. Take you just to one more concept before we start talking about the love. That is why in the teachings of Kabbalah and Musa, we actually talk about the Mabel as a mikveh. The law is that when you go into a mikveh, unless it's well water, you have to have 40 cubits. Mem sorry, not cubits, 40 sa'ah. Now, 40 sa'ah is represented in the rain coming down 40 days and 40 nights. Thus, we're told that God actually immersed the entire world into a mikvah in order to purge it and purify it of all the perverseness that was going on by the humans and the animals before the flood. So once again, it makes sense to call it main noach. It wasn't just about destruction. It was also about comfort, purging, and, and purifying. Now let's go back to that concept of love. But to understand why King Solomon has a verse which is related to this week's Torah portion that talks about love, we need to talk about one more teaching. One more mystical teaching that says, God told Noah, Ba el ha Come into the Teva. What does the Teva mean? Teva is the word the Torah uses for an ark. Which is interesting. Why did it have to use the word Teva? 
could have used the word Sfina. Why does he use the word Teva? So there's a very interesting mystical teaching here. The word Teva has another meaning too. Teva is a word. Tevot is words. And now let's go into the deeper meaning of what God was telling Noah. You feel like you're drowning. Let's go back to the King Solomon verse. The raging waters. You feel like your spirituality is drowning. You feel like your Jewishness, your Judaism is all drowning because six days a week you shall work. One little word that's missing in that verse. Six days a week you shall work like a dog to earn a living. And on the seventh day you shall rest. Most of us take that word rest, not to rest from physical and mundane so that we can be spiritual, but literally we take it as shina b'shabes tainuk, sleeping, physically sleeping. For many of us, we don't work six days a week in order to be able to fully experience Shabbat, but unfortunately Shabbat, we're resting so that we can fully experience to be able to work, to earn a living. So thus, therefore, what's going on is that we're feeling like we're drowning. So Noah is you and I. The raging floodwaters is earning a living and trying to live life. And then what happens? God tells us the secret is Ba'elateva. Go into the words. Which words are we talking about? Specifically, we're talking about the words of prayer. Now, why are we talking about the words of prayer? To understand this, we need to understand where do we learn out the laws of prayer? Where does it say in the Torah we have to pray? And the answer is that when the Torah talks about service of the heart, and our sages ask, which, which is the service? You have to serve God with all your heart. Which is the service of the heart? And they answer, this is prayer. So prayer is about the service of the heart. Let's take it a step further. What exactly is the service of the heart? The heart serves God with two emotions. Which two emotions? One we already mentioned, and you shall love God your God with all your heart. The other service is and God your God you shall fear. There is a mitzvah to fear God. And fear is on very different levels. There's the lower level of fear, there's the higher level of awe, there's the even higher level of, of a, a certain inner, I'm not going to use the word shame, but inner timid bashfulness that comes by standing in the face of greatness. You'll feel it when you stand at the very cliff of the Grand Canyon. You feel a certain humility, a certain from the family of all. With that being said, prayer is actually not about fear as much as it is about love. So let's, let's line up what we're saying here so we can be clear. We're saying that prayer is about the service of the heart. The service of the heart is love and fear. Prayer specifically is not talking about fear, it's talking about love. Where do we know this from? The fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe has a whole book about prayer. Kuntusa Avoida, he has another one called Satfila. And over there he explains 
Fear is not a difficult thing to arouse. And let's talk about this. We learn from our sages that Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai was on his deathbed. And the student said to him, teach us one last teaching. Imagine, this is the farewell teaching. And he says, may you fear God the way you fear your fellow man. And they question, that's it? And he said, da, you should know. What's the first thought that goes through a person's mind when he sins? Did anyone see me? Thus, he's blessing them. You should have that fear of always feeling that God sees you. And that's enough to live a beautiful life. So the definition of fear, if you think about it, the definition of fear is very simple. If you can train your mind to be conscious of the presence of God. For wherever you go, you're in the presence of God. Now, how do we train our mind to do that? It's very interesting. We have a verse that says, Shavisi Hashem Negdi Samid. I always have God before me. And our sages explain, how do you do that? Very simple. If you just train yourself that whenever you see a face, really, this is what it says in the book of Holy Books. Whenever you see a face, you should train yourself. The eyes are the yud, the ears are the hay, the nose is the vav, the mouth is the hay. And thus you truly have shavisi Hashem, yudke vavke, always before me. So it's just a question of training yourself. By the way, if you ever listen to these courses of how to remember phone numbers and how to remember names, it also tells you to do that. Association, association, association. And that's the way it works. So really, it isn't such a difficult exercise that when you're just sitting somewhere, well, I'm in New York, I was about to say when you sit on the train. Well, that doesn't happen around here too much. But whenever you're sitting anywhere, if this thought comes to you and you just make eye contact with someone's face and just... To build the association, the pattern of the neurons firing off. If you consistently connect a person's face with the four letters of God's name, you will have trained your brain, the pattern of firing off those two neurons together. The cluster that sees the face, the cluster that sees God's name, and boom. That's not a hard thing to do. And if you continuously do that, you will always feel that you're in the presence of God, so fear, or whatever level you are up to in life, whatever level you're up to in that moment of God, will very easily come. Loving God is not so easy. Loving God is not enough to feel the presence of God and the presence of being watched by God. That's enough to bring awe and fear. The power of loving God takes much more much more than just creating associations in your brain. Takes a lot of concentration, takes a lot of contemplation, takes a lot of focusing on the certain thoughts. And thus in the Hasidic world, specifically in Chabad, davening is a long meditative service. Now I just want to be very upfront and honest you walk into a Chabad shul, you will wonder, what was the rabbi talking about? These guys diving quicker than any other minion I've ever been in. That's the facts. So I want to just share with you. 
Number one, generally speaking, the weekdays, they go much faster. On Shabbat, if you're keen and you're going to the right Chabad shuls, you will notice that certain people out on the sides are not davening with the minion. They're answering Amen, they're being into Kedusha. But if you pay attention, you'll notice that certain people pull aside and after everyone leaves, one or two things. Either these people go into a private room with their talit, or if he's an unmarried person, he goes and then you see they're disappearing. Or some of them actually stay in the shul. I've, I've seen both. And the meditation goes on. They're working over in their mind, over and over a specific Hasidic teaching that talks about the relationship between God and the universe. Talks about God. Now, I, I will share with you. I, it's been a while. But I actually ended up becoming one of those students. I had a teacher who actually taught me and there were, for quite a period of time, six hours of meditative prayer every Shabbat. It's an unbelievable experience. It takes a lot of training, step by step. But what is going on with this meditation? What are you, what are you going through? What are you thinking about? So I want to just share with you. There is two different categories amongst the Jewish people. One is called Zvulun, business people, and one is called Yisachar, those that sit in the tents. Now, we're talking about the tents of Torah. I want to divide these two groups because the meditations will be very different. Here is something interesting, a teaching from the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe. The gift of divine providence was given to the working Jews more than the studying scholarly Jews. When you go every single day to a yeshiva and you're studying Torah, you don't really see divine providence. But there isn't a single businessman who will not tell you that they have not experienced divine providence. It's unbelievable how very pivotal seven seminal moments happened by coincidence. Now, just that you know, coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous unless you pull away the anonymity. So for a person who belongs to the category of business, his focus in prayer may not be on the deep teachings of Hasidus, may not be on the deep teachings of all the different levels of divinity and the entire chain of evolution from the infinite to the finite and how does an infinite soul give life to a finite body and what's the soul's connection with God. That doesn't belong to him. He may not study or know enough about that. But there isn't a single businessman that cannot sit down and truly feel how God's hand is literally carrying him or her day by day. Divine providence is one of the surest ways to start experiencing love for God. Why? Let's be practical. The God that you only see three times a year in the high holidays is not a God you can love. 
The God you see once a week in synagogue while you sleep through the rabbi's sermon is not a God you can love. But the God that guides you in your business day by day and brings you to where you have to be, to meet the person you need to meet, to open up opportunities, unexpected opportunities, which you later can go ahead and provide your family. The God that has divine providence that has you speak to the right person, to the this, oh, I know someone, you should meet that person, and boom. Next thing you know, A, you can find your shidduch, B, you find a whole new avenue, C, you actually have a huge career change which just opens you up to a total different level of being able to provide. Now, the challenge is very simple. The challenge is this guy, this businessman was running late for a meeting which he was preparing all along, pulls into a parking lot of the building, can't find a parking lot, he's got minutes to make it. You know what happens if you come late for a, a meeting, you already turned off the person you're trying to entice into doing business with you. And he starts saying, oh God, oh God, oh God, please God, if you just find me a parking place. Oh, forget it, I just found one. When you do that, then you're cutting off your power of sight to divine providence. And deeper than that, you're cutting off your opportunity to build love for God. So the contemplation before prayer, when it says, go into the ark, and the ark means teva, and teva means words. We mean specifically words of prayer. To go into your prayer means that before that, you spend some time thinking. Now in addiction recovery, one of the major things that you have a person who's looking for recovery to do is called a gratitude list. Some of them get so specific, a sponsor will tell a sponsee, before you go to bed, before you do your night stuff, step 10, 11, a list. You have to list five things that you're grateful for. So you have divine providence, which tells you, I'm grateful about something that who gave me? God. Who made available for me? God. When you start having a personal relationship with God, that God is in your office, God is in your car, God's on the 95 when there's traffic, when you start having a personal relationship with God, it's happening whether you like it or not. The question is whether you're conscious to it or not. Thus the words go into the ark, go into the words. So to answer the question I started with, the Magid, the Masricha Magid answered his question. He said, how can you command a feeling of the heart? And he says, the command is not on the heart. The heart is the destiny. You never have a commandment on a destiny. You have a commandment on a journey. The journey is the brain. And he says, and thus, in action, the commandment of loving God your God is actually the commandment of Da et Hashem Elokecha. Know God your God. For to know God is to love God. Thus we now understand that the commandment of loving God, which we already clarified, is the heart and soul of the commandment of prayer, is the commandment to know God.
Now, I, I want to just be clear about the word no. There is huge Kabbalah about what the intellect of dat is. Dat means to know. Dat is knowledge. So you have wisdom, understanding, knowledge. That's what the three intellects are. And there's huge questions of what is dat. There's wisdom, there's understanding, what is knowledge? In English, the word knowledge is a very bad translation to the word dot. Because to us, knowledge is an accumulation of data. That is the last thing that dot is. It's not an accumulation of data. It's not like, oh, he's a knowledgeable person, meaning he knows a lot. That's not what dot is. The intellect of dot is the process of internalizing, connecting with, what you have in your wisdom and understanding. Let me give you a simple, simple information. You go ahead and you understand smoking, the effect that smoking has on the lungs, and you understand this, and then it causes cancer, and la 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 la, and all the wonderful things about that. Versus if God forbid someone has a brother who died of lung cancer. You see the difference in what that study would be? Let's talk about something else. We're studying geography. We're studying world history. You realize the difference the minute the teacher gets up to Israel? Just something different for us. Why? It's all God's world. Because Israel becomes personal. You hear that there was a bombing in France, God forbid. First thing you want to know is what? As Jews, we want to know. Was it in a Jewish neighborhood where Jews killed? Was it a terrorist act against the Jews again? Personalization means I'm not talking about a God. I'm not talking about the God who created heaven and earth. I'm not talking about the God who took my great, 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 grandfather out of Egypt. That's not my God. We're talking about the God that today happened to have me in a meeting where I heard and met a certain person who made a change in my life. That's the God we're talking about. So I want to give you the true translation of the word dot as it is in Kabbalah. The word dot is hakara vahargasha. Those are the two correct definitions of dot. What does that mean? Hakara means recognition. Hargasha means the feel. And I want to explain to you what this means. If you talk to a construction worker, you talk to a carpenter, there's a hundred carpenters on this building site. There's a hundred hammers. You will notice that a real carpenter builder will never have to put his initials on the hammer. He'll take the hammer in his hand, he'll toss it a little bit, this is mine. Why? The hakara bahargasha. You talk about in martial arts, you know, the same thing. The weapon chooses the person, the person chooses the weapon. You have a certain feel. Why? Because you've spent so many hundreds, if not thousands of hours with it, you feel it. It's yours. Hakara bahargasha. 
is the most important part of your concentration, contemplation, and meditation. If you're a genius and you figured it out, you will not have love for God. But if you're working on a level of recognition, has anyone here read a book written by Malcolm Gladwell called Blink? You're familiar with Malcolm Gladwell? He wrote a very, very famous books. He wrote The Tipping Point. Whatever. He wrote uh, The Outlier, The Outliers. He wrote the... Uh, whatever. He's a researcher. He has a book called Blink and he talks about this one thing. He talks about how a certain museum in England paid millions of millions for a certain statute that was proven by testing of carbon and all the dating and everything was tested and proved to be ancient. Before they opened it up to the public, they called the world most renowned people. Not the, not the chemicals, the humans. One after another, they saw it separately. One after another said, I hope you didn't buy that. Him in his interview, he asked this one woman, what made you say that? She says, I don't know. The minute I looked at it, my stomach turned. I knew it wasn't real. That's that. You're talking about a martial artist who his body has become martial arts. He doesn't know the moves and he thinks it's reflexes. That's called dot. That's where things become real. Not acquired knowledge, but real. So when we talk about a businessman, a Jewish businessman, in order to contemplate, concentrate before prayer, to be able to give birth to love, you're talking about a person who doesn't just intellectually think. He opens up the gateway between the mind and the heart. It becomes a recognizing God. Recognizing the hand of God. Personally feeling protected, loved and cared for and led day by day, hour by hour by God. Such a person has love. The other category, briefly, the other category has to do already with the studies. But once again, the studies, I want to share with you, I'm just going to pick out of my hat one, one of the most famous, most recent um, people who he would sit in front of a wall in the shul, in the yeshiva actually, his name, he was in France, in Brimois, his name was Rabbi Nisan of a blessed memory. He would sit there and daven for hours. His face would be red like a beet. My uncle, who studied by him, told me when he walked away from the wall, the students used to go to the wall and feel it. It was sweating. The heat that was radiating. I'm talking about physical heat. I'm not talking about spiritual stuff. What's interesting is to watch this man's face when he prayed. His eyes was closed. His face was red. Every once in a while, tears slipped out of his eyes. Every once in a while, the lips mumbled a couple of words. What was going on? The words were the words of the prayer. It's very simple. A man like Rav Nisanemanov didn't want to say the word before he felt it. So let's talk about it for a moment. You remember the verse that closes Yehodu, the opening paragraph of prayer, unless you're Ashkenazi. Ashkenazi starts a Baruch 
but uh, everyone else starts with Haidu. What's the closing words? So let me share with you. Let's talk about what those words mean. And I, in your kindness, trusted. My heart rejoiced in your salvation. Let me sing to God. He fulfilled my needs. Now let's talk about this. When you say these words, Vani Bechastecha Batahti. Do you mean it? And I in your kindness trusted. How many people around this table have a problem sleeping? The problem with sleeping comes only from one place, right? Preoccupied of the mind, worrying. Doesn't say he'emanti. He'emanti means believed. Batahti means trust. You know what the difference is? The difference is that you're sitting by the circus and you're watching the high wire walker going with a wheelbarrow all the way up there. He'emanti, faith, belief, means that, oh, I'm not worried, he won't fall. He's done this already for what, for 10 years? He'll be doing it for another 10 years. I have faith, I believe he's going to make it across. You know what trust is? Getting into the wheelbarrow. Total different creature. So when you say the words, I've just picked one verse, not a very mystical verse, right? I didn't talk about no mystical things. Why does it say God was king, is king, will be king? We're talking about just a simple thing. And I in your kindness trusted. We say that every day in our morning prayer. You understand why Rabbi Nisandamanov didn't just say those words? before he had his eyes closed, meditating, concentrating, contemplating, understanding. What does it mean God is everything and everything is God? What is the relationship between God and us, the infinite and the finite? Does God really care about all the little details? Am I not but just a pimple on the rear end of the universe? Would God really take his time to deal with me and my feelings. God's got such a huge company to take care of. He's got countries that are falling apart. Really? He's worried about me? When you have the answers to these questions built on pure, not human suggestions, built on Torah fact teachings to understand that God's thinking about you is not God's thinking about you. As Maimonides says, God knows everything because he knows himself and God is everything and everything is God. And thus the whole question whether God cares about me just changed completely. And when I don't just go through the motions, okay, okay, I thought it, let's go further. No, but we're working the dot. Do I recognize it? Do I recognize this truism? 
Not whether I wisely know it, understand it. Do I recognize the truism? That doesn't happen from just learning it. When they caught Aristotle and they asked him, how can you do this after all you've taught us? And he answered, does a mathematician become a triangle? Does a Torah scholar become a Torah? Does a scholar in faith become a believer? No. You can be a bookcase, a human bookcase with books, shelves of books in you. That, hakara v'hargasha, takes time. It takes, most importantly, slow down. I heard such a great teaching. Why did God choose Moses? Because by the burning bush it said that Moses turned and said, how awesome is this sight, let us see what it is. Now between you and I, if there was a burning bush on the 95, and it wasn't consuming, exactly as miraculous as it was happening by Moses on Mount Sinai, how many people would stop? Would you and I stop? So the first thing for prayer is stop. By the way, that is the mystical secret behind putting on your gartel. You know what the gartel is? That black belt that you see Hasidim wear? So there's a mystical secret of it that by the end, when you go round and round, you give it a pull and you put it in. You know what that pull is? Okay, enough. We're, we're davening now. That's that. Okay. I'm here now. I'm not there. I'm here. It's important to do that. Today, by the way, that's not just, uh, that's not just uh, putting on your gartel. Practically speaking, in order to pray by being here, I want to teach you a very mystical thing to do. You want to be present by your prayer? Okay, here is the most mystical secret you're ever going to hear. You listening? Put your, airplay, put your phone on airplane mode. That's, that's the first thing. Not because you're telling the world I'm not available. Because you're telling yourself, now I'm going to pray. Love takes time. Love takes thinking. Love takes knowing. So we go back to the question we started with. Do we marry who we love or do we love who we marry? Someone who's a friend of my mother, who I grew up knowing, knowing her name is Hannah Sharfstein. The Rebbe asked her, why isn't she was already an older girl? When I knew her, she was already married with kids. But back in the day, she's a very bright woman. And uh, she's an author. And the Rebbe asked her, no, what's going on with the Shaduchim? And she started explaining to the Rebbe that, you know, she's looking for someone she loves. And the Rebbe asked him, what do you call love? And she went on to explain to the Rebbe what she calls love. And the Rebbe told her, you've been reading too many novels. And the Rebbe expressed to her that love is something that you realize is happening after living and caring and sharing your life and doing for each other for 10 years. I, I, I'm, I'm putting the number 10. I don't know what the Rebbe said. But I read this article and I actually heard the story for her because after I read the article, I went there and I said, oh, I saw your article. She says, yep, that's what happened. See, to marry who you love means that you already lived half your life before you got married. 
We're not talking about fatuity. We're not talking about chemical. We're not talking about physical. Forgive me, we're not talking about sexual. We're talking about love. We're talking about real love. What do you think it means when you love God? It's not erotic. It's a, it's a very deep sense of oneness, of caring, of appreciation, of respect. So when you talk about marrying and having love, you're talking about something real. And many of us miss many a good opportunities because we want to marry who we love rather than to marry someone that we're compatible with and will dedicate our life to learn to love. That's the way it works. It's that way with God. It's that way with a spouse. And let me break to you a little secret. Sometimes it's that way with your kids too. Not always is it a smooth ride with your kids. And sometimes you have to learn to love. You also have to learn to let yourself be loved. I'm going to wrap it up with one story. So many times I went late and today I'm going to finish early. So let me wrap it up with a story. There is a huge, great chassid. May he live and be well. He is the chief shliach in Italy. His name is Gershon Mendel Garelik. And the Rebbe had an unbelievable guidance and caring. And I mean, you're talking about a person that when he came here to New York to visit the Rebbe, when he was the Rebbe's emissary in Italy, the Rebbe called him in and said, did you buy your wife a present? You're going back. You were away. The Rebbe actually told him to bring in the pieces and the Rebbe will help and choose. That's the type of relationship. So the Rebbe goes ahead and tells him, the next time you write to me, I want you to write to me your thoughts and your feelings about your wife. Now, if you know who Gershom Mendel is, he's one of the people who is truly spiritual. He wasn't out there busy, grandiosity, building big buildings and then this and that. No, he, he was real, to the core. Every single day, when I talked about praying, Bavoda, every single day, till this very day. And he wrote, he had no choice. The Rebbe says, you listen, you have no choice. But he added on one line. I apologize for elaborating. And the Rebbe crossed out that line. Now when I heard that story, I was a younger man. And I wanted to know what's going on here. <laughs> what's the Rebbe asking this person to write to him about his wife? I mean, obviously, the Rebbe is treating him like a child, you know. That's... But what's going on here? These are my thoughts. We run out of love because we stop thinking. We stop paying attention. We're so busy. I personally know a person whose wife used to call the secretary to find out what kind of mood her husband's in because she had to speak to him about something. We live in a world where how much time do two spouses actually spend together quality time. Now if the husband and the wife, both, not one more than the other, if they don't set aside time to be able to think about their spouse, I'm not even talking about quality time together, I'm talking about when you're alone. 
If you don't stop every once in a while to think about what does my spouse do for me? And be able to recognize it. To be able to appreciate it. Then yeah. The flame that doesn't keep on being fed oil will get smaller and will extinguish. It's that way with God. It's that way in families. So we'll wrap it up. In this week, when God tells Noah that go into the words, the outcome is that not only will the raging struggles in life not extinguish your love, it will actually lift you up. Because when you learn to have gratitude and recognize God, you're realizing your most difficult times he was there most for you. And once again, the same thing with your spouse. If you pay attention, then you realize that the struggles you go through not only does it not have to rip you apart, but it can make you so much closer if you just are willing to sit and think with gratitude to how your spouse helps you get through life. And the same thing with Hashem. You all know the poem called Footsteps. So this person is walking along the beach and that's the steps of life. And at the end, he turns back and he looks. He's an old man now. And he's looking back. He says, wow, God, I'm looking at the footsteps we went through together in life. I see two peers, yours and mine. But interesting enough, when it got to the most difficult times in my life, I only see one set of footprints. Where were you when I needed you most? And God answers him, my son, that one set of footprints are mine. I was carrying you. These are the type of not knowing, not reading, but truly recognizing and feeling, which comes through concentration, which comes through creating neuron patterns, connections in your mind, to be able to recognize God when He's there for you every moment. This is what brings love. This is the ark that saves us in the times of floods and actually lifts us to unprecedented heights. Thank you.